0: Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Reformed Meditations. I'm Lee, and I'm here with an extra special guest. We're doing something a little different than usual, so I'm so happy to welcome James Fireman to the program. How are you,
1: James? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Lee.
0: And uh, and we are here to discuss uh, not necessarily a book of the Bible, but we're here to discuss a book, which is your debut novel.
1: Yeah. That's right. What um,
0: a uh, milestone for you! <laughs>
1: <laughs> it really is. It's already um, one of the. It'll it'll be a premier event in the events of my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's 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 awesome. Um, so uh, tell tell the listeners uh, the name of your the title of your book
1: first. Of so all. the the title of my book is Breaker Ford's Adventures in Space. And it's a it's a humorous uh, science fiction novel, and uh, really a throwback to the 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 golden age of the classic uh, science fiction, um, in the vein of Buck Rogers and, and Flash Gordon. That that sort of era.
0: Uh, a yeah, a very uh, a very good description so just uh, to uh, to to be clear and put all our cards on the table i was fortunate enough to be one of your beta readers at the beginning and kind of help uh in whatever way i could get the ball rolling to get this started so uh that that process started back gosh at the beginning of the year i think
1: yeah yeah that def- i will i think it might have started uh around thanksgiving of last year
0: yeah you know i think that's right yeah so so just coming on close to a year that's pretty it's pretty cool so well i don't i don't want to i don't want to get ahead of myself uh first of all uh so so tell us a little bit about about yourself uh, your own background um uh, maybe even your testimony as well and your your relationship with christ and uh, give us a little picture of of who the author is first before we dig into the book
1: Sure. Sure. I'd love to. Um, well, actually, my real name is James Smith, uh, but uh, I went with James uh, A. Fireman as my pin name because James Smith sounds like an alias anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, And I am a uh, I am a well, I think this might be my 20th year now that I'm starting as a firefighter. So I'm a firefighter paramedic uh, in Marysville Ohio in Allen Township specifically is where I work but um, I was born in California in San Diego and my parents divorced when I was uh, fairly young and I moved with my mom back here to Ohio to uh, Bell Fountain uh, after the divorce and really um, my testimony would start with remembering my mom reading the Bible to myself and my my sister when we were kids. Um, and that still has a huge effect on me. I can still remember her reading the Bible to us. and it was a uh, illustrated Bible that was for for kids, but uh, those times definitely had an impact. And it's funny because we had, uh, we had a book like the history of the world. It certainly wasn't Christian. And it had a, a chapter in the beginning of it. That was something about evolution. And I remember as a kid thinking this is so I couldn't put it together. This doesn't fit with what we <laughs> were reading um, in the Bible with my mom. And that, it always struck me funny. I was like, I can't fit this together. Where did, <laughs> where did the cavemen, half ape men, Fit in with the Adam and Eve and all that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that that doesn't fit in so well. (laughs) No, and 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 it's funny we had that book in our house, um, but you know that's the world we live in. Is that there's just so many influences floating out there. People grow up, even if they grow up in a Christian influenced house, uh, it could be a little bit of a mixed bag for them because there's just so many things that you pick up from influences around you even even having a a book around the house on the the history of the world that starts Mm -hmm. out with evolution
0: well and 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 then you think about you know kids that are growing up today too there i think there's even more influences or at least more ways to be influenced now than than there were even even when i was a kid
1: oh absolutely so yeah um, i grew up in the 70s and uh I was a I was a kid in the 70s, I was a teenager in the 80s, and I was a young adult in the 90s. <laughs> and in in the 70s, I can still remember, of course, uh there was no internet. If you wanted to learn something quickly or briefly about a subject, you hopefully had access to an encyclopedia britannica. <laughs> uh, and, Back then, there were still guys going door to door selling those. And I remember wow. watching the commercials on TV, and it would be like, Hey, get our 27 volume of the Encyclopedia Britannica, and you'll have the whole world at your fingertips. <laughs>
0: <laughs> as long as you had an entire wall to put a shelf up to store it on.
1: Right. Yes. So, yeah, um, yeah, far different. Uh, we are living in science fiction right now.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, actually, so speaking of science fiction, I'm I'm curious. So so you, you grew up reading the Bible. Uh, so uh so you had a, a faith background, but what what was it that got you um what got you interested in sci-fi fantasy comics? What was there a particular work that kind of got that hook in you as well and began influencing you when it came to
1: fiction? Well, I think uh a big portion of that is just simply the way God built me, that I just have a, I've always had uh, a nonstop, just a locomotive uh, imagination. So as a kid, I gravitated, I didn't gravitate towards sports. I gravitated towards things of the imagination. And I was a reader from a very early age and was, um, uh, somehow just always very adept at reading my teachers were always that's that's the one thing I excelled at everything else in school uh, I did not excel at it was the, the exact opposite <laughs> uh, but reading I was always I was a, advanced in that and uh, and my imagination then was I really as far as pop culture I have to say I kind of other than if I would have been in the 19th born in the thirties or the forties I think the seventies and the early eighties was just like ground zero for a kid's imagination of all the things that were going on. So from my earliest age, I could tell you, I remember uh, of course the seventies comic books I had, my walls were covered with uh, I didn't buy comic books at four Mm. years old, but my, (laughs) my, family would buy me the if, if any of the listeners remember the the big like seven inch Mego uh, action figures where you could get Batman or Captain America or Superman and they they were almost like Barbies they had uniforms made of cloth you could take them on and off And. I'm Googling were, that
0: right now. Cause that's a new one to me. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm showing my age yeah, or lack thereof. Find, yeah. If
1: you Google it, you will find, so you go to YouTube and you'll find oh, people wow. are my age and they, they're, it almost stunted their growth because it was, <laughs> it was so awesome. It was like, wow. no one can get past it. Um, uh, and they Those have are incredible. Go. Yeah. Oh,
0: I'm looking at the Wolfman right now. Uh, there's a Wolfman, uh, uh, Robin, a Superman with a really awesome red cape. Yeah. Wow. These are so cool.
1: Yeah. They had all the, the DC Batman, Joker, Penguin, Robin, uh, Superman and, and the Mego corporation, uh, somehow worked this magic trick where they had DC and Marvel. So you had (laughs) Spider-Man and, and, uh, the Hulk and Captain America and the thing and the fantastic four, you had all these, uh, figures all from the same company and they were just magnificent.
0: I just found Amigo black Adam, which is a uh, very timely right now.
1: Oh, wow. With the black Adam that movie one. that just came out. Yeah. Yeah. That's right.
0: Oh, super so, cool. That'll go in the show notes. <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> so, um, uh, from a very early age, the superheroes in the early 70s, even prior to the uh, the Hulk TV show in the late 70s and the Wonder Woman, in the early 70s, there was kind of a renaissance of superhero. There was just like a flood of superhero toys and things. My walls were covered with pictures uh, of superheroes. And at that time the apes from the Planet of the Apes movies, the original Planet of the Apes movies. The good one. There was not the not the reboot from, what, the 2010s. Um, yeah,
0: you're talking the Charlton Heston one.
1: The Charlton Heston. Oh, man, that,
0: that's so good.
1: And that that series uh, of movies, and then there was even a, a short-term TV series, which is, hmm. and I, I saw those apes as a little four-year-old and I didn't even know what it was about. It was just talking apes on horses, chasing humans. <laughs> and it was like, that is, I have just found my home. <laughs> so, so things like that, that just captured my imagination. So um, I don't know if if you're old enough to really remember how popular the $6 million man was. So
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. In the mid to late seventies, you had. Uh, Steve Austin, a man barely alive, the astronaut that crashed back to Earth and the government rebuilding with bionic parts. And then he became like a secret CIA guy that went around and used his powers to to, uh, fight.
0: Played by famous fellow Lee, Lee
1: Majors. Yes, Lee Majors. (laughs) So, you know, and that was back in the day in the 70s, there was nothing more cutting edge. Than the Six Million Dollar Man, and I, and it's funny because uh, there is a young man or somebody from church that we were talking with not too long ago, and uh, we we're talking about the characters and things that he likes in in pop, pop culture. And I said, "Well, when I was a kid, I used to like the Six Million Dollar Man." He goes, "What's that?" And I said, "Oh, it was this <laughs> it was this astronaut that crashed to Earth, and they they gave him new arms and bionic legs, and he could run as fast as a a." sports car and he could lift a a truck and he had a bionic eye that could see for miles and it was the coolest thing ever and he goes oh well that's just a cyborg like (laughs) oh that's so boring
0: (laughs) well you know it's so funny because like you look back on stuff from now and and you know the really groundbreaking stuff doesn't feel that groundbreaking because things have come along that built on top of that. And then things built on top of that. And so, you know, there, there really wasn't a, a cyborg concept, you know, at that time.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. That, but that's, a, that's almost a now. sci-fi
0: trope now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that sort of a thing that the seventies the really ushered in um, or it built on some of the, the uh, foundation that, that came from the, the 50s and the 40s and even the 30s of, of that that science fiction uh, style. And then of course, what the the big whammy was when Star Wars hit
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: that just everything from that moment on changed uh, and I was so I was seven years old when the original Star Wars came out and oh, this wow. is before it was even a new Hope. Because they they went back and they, um, you know, they added all that the the New Hope title in. And when that when it first came out in May of seventy seven, it it was simply just Star Wars, and it, um, it was quite a bit different than what most people have seen now. If anyone listening has paid attention to the uh, kind of the controversy that George Lucas created for himself by going back and trying to redo so much of the the original Uh, but when that first hit uh seven years old i was the the perfect age and i remember being on the playground in elementary school and a kid was wearing a darth vader shirt and i didn't know there was such a movie or a character and i i walked up to i couldn't quite make it out the the mask itself of darth vader it was just it was intriguing and I I couldn't quite tell what it was, and I remember going up to this kid and saying, "What is that on your shirt?" And he goes, "Well, that's Darth Vader. He's like the coolest bad guy ever." <laughs> and uh, we got into this conversates conversation, and uh, it was kind of like, "Well, where have I been? What where? What is this?" You know. And I traded him. I actually traded him my Spider Man Mego figure <laughs> for his Star Wars comic book edition by marvel so that i could actually read the story (laughs) oh wow what a trade yeah (laughs) schoolyard trade Um, and and from then on really and of course star wars like i said star wars was um george lucas has even admitted was built on his love of flash gordon in particular which Mm -hmm. I, i think he's even said he really wanted to set out to make a flash gordon movie but couldn't get the rights so then hmm. he began writing a story uh and there's there are some similarities in there
0: so so it's it's based star wars is basically glorified uh flash gordon fan fiction
1: <laughs> in a lot of ways it is and that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole other program because we could go there
0: you know, you know it's and, uh, funny too because because when i read dune for the first time i kept seeing a lot of star wars in dune as well um and maybe maybe that some of that came from some uh some flash gordon stuff too uh this would be interesting because that's that's uh that's a bit of pop culture i've never do i've never uh, gone into is the flash gordon comics okay. i missed that train by some decades <laughs>
1: Well, Flash Gordon, of course, Flash Gordon started in the 30s and was very popular up through maybe the 50s and kind of tapered off. But again, in the 70s, Star Wars ushered in a bit of a renaissance for science fiction as outer space type science fiction. And there was a Flash Gordon uh, cartoon on Saturday mornings, and it was, it was the filmation, which if anyone remembers uh, the old Fat Albert show where... Mm-hmm. There wasn't really much movement in it, <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of like still pictures, and then they would have like one arm or leg that, that would move. <laughs> but it was the coolest thing ever, and and uh, so Flash Gordon got a little bit of a new lease after Star Wars, and then they did the 1980 Flash Gordon movie that had the uh, the Queen, the rock band Queen, did the soundtrack, and that's become sort of a old hit in a tiny kind of sense but flash flash himself was a a ripoff of buck rogers buck rogers mm-hmm. in the 21st century came first and uh alex raymond who was the creator of flash gordon was a, a comic book artist at the time and his bosses went to him and said hey this buck rogers character is selling hotcakes you got to come up with something that that is similar so we can compete and Flash Gordon actually surpassed uh, Buck Rogers after that. But Alex Raymond, if you're not familiar with him, if you Google Alex Raymond, his artwork for Flash Gordon is, every panel is a masterpiece. Uh, They're gorgeous. They are just beautiful uh, bits of artwork.
0: I'm pulling up some of the art now. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He's uh, that that this art's pretty stunning. Not gonna lie, even the black and whites are super
1: detailed. Oh um, yeah, lifelike. Yeah, it's Excellent. amazing how he he his output. You know, he did those uh, the Sunday comics. He did those every week in the Sunday comics, and now I've got a book. Uh, I've got a book or two, a collection of his earliest work of flash gordon and it's really got better as time went on so they were a little more basic initially and uh i don't know what you've what you've uh, come upon there but um his best work is just masterful the the lines and it's you know, the details are great
0: so the uh the initial interest in in science fiction especially ha- is is about uh um for for you, it, it, uh, a way to expand your your creativity, kind of let your imagination go wild. Um, what uh what why is uh why is space such a natural place to just let the uh, the imagination go um,
1: Well, I think uh, kind of as the old Star Trek show, uh, alluded to at the beginning when William Shatner is doing his narration at, at the start It's the final fun- frontier it's it's an unknown what could be out there anything and uh, so it's not just for me uh, I've always thought well I'm not just a science fiction fan I'm I'm kind of a, just an adventure or imagination fan because at the same time that I was a, a into the science fiction and I would call, Uh, Six million dollar man. It took place in present day 1970s earth, but it was science fiction. He just wasn't in outer space running around. Mm -hmm. Uh, Star Wars was science fiction in space. Uh, Planet of the Apes was science fiction in the future in in a nuclear wasteland earth. Uh, But at the same time, I was a, a big fan of the Cowboys. Uh, mm. In books and in movies and on TV, the cowboys were also, I, I say that I say this with air quotes, was was science fiction, right? Because mm-hmm. reality, the wild West, was not as it was really portrayed in the movies. Most mm-hmm. guys did not have a showdown in the middle of the street uh, <laughs> drawing their guns. Uh, that just really didn't happen uh, in in reading true history most of the gunfights were, were kind of somebody was um, sneak up from the other guy in the alley and and shoot him. The Mm -hmm. the OK corral was uh, not necessarily just two groups brazenly walking up to each other. Uh, Most of the, most of what I've read, there's varying accounts, but one, the Clanton gang was kind of lying in wait and hiding, waiting for the group to come up and, uh, but the idea, the mythical idea of the lone hero out in this desert wasteland riding into uh, an isolated town and he's going to fight these bad guys, and it really is – it's outer space in a sense. <laughs> you don't know what's out there. There's these r- marauding uh, savages that could be out there, the Indians or some kind of wrestlers or mm-hmm. uh, being Har- Harsh
0: conditions as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's yeah. a desert instead of space but you've gotta you've got to deal with harsh conditions
1: there's a lot of crossover there a the frontier yeah yeah
0: yeah and you know it's funny because there there have been quite a few different uh works both uh uh written and on screen that have blended uh kind of space Opera themes with uh with Western themes um I'm trying to think of uh um well, for instance, like uh, uh, Cowboys and Aliens, which was which was a movie that came out a few years ago, which right. which took takes place on Earth. But um, but involves obviously aliens um, and there, there's there been quite a few of like uh, like space cowboy, uh, which are, are like space bounty hunter type uh, type programs before. So there's there does seem to be some sort of natural uh, crossover there between the yeah. two things.
1: Really, it's the the technology is really the only difference because you're in you're in foreign uh, hostile uh, endless possibility landscapes, whether it's the universe or different planets or it's the the wild west frontier, and you have these rugged individuals uh, trying to bring some sort of uh, peace or, or structure to the chaos. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it's it's the the, the old timers rode horses, the 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 new versions are in spaceships. But it, it's it really is the, the same theme, I it's, think.
0: And sometimes they're uh they're space truckers, right?
1: Sometimes they're space truckers, yes. <laughs> so is saying that, of course, my character in and breaker Ford is a space trucker and is not uh, too dissimilar from Han Solo, who as mm-hmm. as you were talking uh, earlier, he was even by uh, George Lucas's uh, statement, he was a cowboy in space that and he's even dressed like one when you look at it and you go, well, he didn't wear a cowboy hat, but <laughs> he's got he's got the vest, right? Like the yep. cowboys always wear the vest and he's he's hanging out at the saloon in in the first movie. He's yep. there on the desert planet and he's
0: Got the gun on his hip.
1: Yeah, he's got the gun on his hip, and he's got the the cowboy, the loner attitude. Um, he really was a a space cowboy, so to speak, and uh, he was a space trucker in a sense. So he was a, a smuggler. He was smuggling, and in the movie, they don't they didn't get too much into it. But as kids, we always wondered. Uh, the original movie alluded to that he was a spice smuggler, and uh, mm. it's funny how you. You said uh, some of Dune mm-hmm. is is there in the movie, and we were always like, "Oh, he smuggled spice! What a weird <laughs> thing to smuggle! <laughs> not not jewels, not <laughs> not spare parts for the spaceships. There's a spice smuggler."
2: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, he went all the way from Arrakis. Got to got to <laughs> yeah. Got to got to move that spice, man. Got got to keep Chome happy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love Dune that's so much. an
1: angle. They, that's an angle. They've never explored yet is like tying in star Wars and Dune. That could, that could be a,
0: that should be a thing.
1: Fans. Yeah. Yep. That should
0: definitely be a thing. So I, I, I love hearing all this, uh, all this background that goes, because uh, everything, everything that you've mentioned so far, I, I can see all of the, the the influences of these different pieces in, in the, in your book. Uh, and I think it's really cool. Um, it's I, I love to see how uh, how influences come in and make a new work uh not only original but also contain so many you know tips of the hat to to, to great works that, that came before. Um I could I could I could definitely see the uh um the the kind of cowboy nature of uh of breaker ford, the um Almost like Han Solo, but without the attitude, like, uh, like, um, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, the way that, uh, in, in like Dungeons and Dragons where they have the, the nine, uh, um, character, character trait combos, uh, chaotic good. He's, he's the top left, like, uh, lawful good, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Like he's trying to do the right thing all the time, even though it's, it's costing him. Uh, and I, I think he, he makes for a very interesting hero. Um, and there's, and there's a lot of heroics that are needed in, in the course of the story too. So, which is uh pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh, But so uh, another question I had actually has to do with the writing itself. So I know you, you already mentioned about how uh kind of reading was the thing that, that really uh you excelled in in school when did you start writing especially creative writing
1: well really about as soon as i could read i Mm. was creating my own stories and uh, my mom and my sister always tell me about that i've even forgotten that how i was always writing down the stories that were coming into my head and i was i was the kid that would kind of uh Wear people out, whoever was around me, because I would want to tell them uh, the new story I had just invented in my head. And then I would write it down. (laughs) So uh, it's funny because, again, it's just the way God built me. And most kids, certainly, most everybody's not this way. But I would go out with my friends and we would play. We'd have our toy guns and we pretend like we were uh, in a war or in outer space or fighting cowboys and Indians, and they would go home and I would go back in the house and I would come in and I had a notebook and I would sit down and then I would write down, uh, what we had just played as in hmm. record the story of what, wow. what happened and how many thousands of bad guys we took on and what we did and how we, uh, just made the full story of it full orbed. And then, um, I remember making a story. My my very first, uh, and again, I was probably seven or eight years old. Was my first story with a main character was Lieutenant Strack uh, and the mul- the metal machine. And hmm. I, um, so my house growing up was surrounded by giant pine trees and my story was that those, those trees, I was Lieutenant Stratt. I don't know where I got that name. And I was on a planet fighting these creatures that looked like giant pine trees. And, and I, I could go out and play it and, (laughs) and uh, act out everything in real time. And then I could go back in and and write it down. And I, and then I would get in my metal machine, my spaceship. And then I would zoom away from, from the uh, giant tree people again.
0: Wow! So the so it would go from pretending to the page and not the other way around.
1: Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. that's I would so go out, interesting. I would, I would see it in my mind as I'm out there running around the tree, shooting at it, and up and down the yard, and then I would go in and and I'd say, okay, yeah, that that worked. This is this is my story. Huh. That is so really even, cool um i remember my my i had an older cousin and uh, he was always amused at uh my my imagination and how if um anyone remembers at king's island in the late 70s when they first opened the beast which is is still there and it's still an awesome roller coaster
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but when the beast opened up uh, that was a big deal for all the kids. I think at the time it was maybe the fastest. Maybe it was the, that it was the fastest uh, wooden roller coaster. Went over 60 miles an hour or something crazy Yeah, like that.
0: I Yeah, I think that's right. I think it was it was the fastest wooden roller coaster.
1: Um, and then they made a, a Son of the Beast, if anyone remembers, that was actually a wooden roller coaster that had a loop in it. It actually went upside down. <laughs> and I, I never got to ride that, but that was like stunning that they could make one out of out of wood um but when that came out i was the uh the illustrations for it the the mascot for the ride was like uh the tracks of the the roller coaster were coming towards you and then it had two giant paws hairy orange bright fireball orange colored paws with big claws on them (laughs) and then it would have the the logo the beast underneath it and and I I sat down and I wrote a story about the beast and there's I had a group of people that ran into the beast that it was the roller coaster and somehow uh, the beast was connected to the roller coaster somehow and <laughs> my my cousin I remember him coming up when I was writing it and I had my little illustrations on the side of the different people and everything. And he's like shaking his head going, it's just a roller coaster. What are you doing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you're like being cool. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is I what the a, cool
1: kids do. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I was a proto nerd. I was a proto geek before geek, before there was a geek chic sort of yeah. thing. Back before there were comic cons and all that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I so one of my kind of one of my hobby horses when it comes to fiction, especially when it comes to uh, sci-fi and fantasy, uh, is comes from my Tolkien influence and mm-hmm. his his concept of subcreation. And I think your your experience here is such a great example of that because you're what you're doing. And I think this is this is absolutely part of of being an image bearer of God, right? is, is taking your experiences that are happening around you and, and, um, and turning them into, uh, a story, uh, kind of heightening them, making them remixing them basically into uh, a tale to tell, right? Cause we're, we're, uh, we're made to to tell and and hear stories, right? We're we're story creatures. And I think it's so fast. The, even the story about the uh the roller coaster and turning that into um an adventure story is such a uh such a cool example of that subcreation thing where we we're taking the world that God's placed us in, taking elements and turning them into our creating them sub creating them into our own, our own stories to tell. I think that's so fascinating and I, more proof that Tolkien was onto something with, with that concept.
1: Oh, I absolutely agree. Yeah. And of course, Jesus was well known as he was a master storyteller as far as mm-hmm. his parables and, and how he, he made, uh, such great eternal truths, uh, palpable and understandable in a lot of ways. Um, through stories,
2: yeah, we're uh, uh,
0: so. I think, I think mercifully, I think that's why there's so much, especially the of the Old Testament, that is is told in a narrative. Because uh, I think we're, I think we're we're better at understanding <laughs> and taking in narratives than than other other genres, you know. Right. I like it's. I think that's why there's so much narrative in scripture. That's just a theory, <laughs>
1: but <laughs> no, I I buy it. I I think so. But I well, now I will say as I love my uh, my childhood as far as uh, the imagination and the things that were that were uh, a lot of fun. But there was a really a, a dark side to it in the sense that so childhood for myself was was rough in the sense that my my family split. And we were, we were a broken family. It was a broken home. And I think uh, one element of my uh, extensive imagination life was in trying to escape from what was a difficult reality. So I never had a dad around. Where, where I grew up in a more rural area, uh, families were just more intact. I didn't know anyone. Uh, up until junior high or high school, I didn't know anyone from my school that that was not part of an intact family, even if it was a step family. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't I didn't know anybody that was just. You know, it would have been easier for me if my father had somehow passed away in an accident or uh, in a war or something than mm-hmm. to and say, "Well, where's your dad?" When back then, schools had. Uh, you would have like a family. You could have a, a father son day or uh, days like that. Mother daughter's mm-hmm. day. And you don't have a dad. And it was, Oh, where's your dad? Well, uh, I don't know. He, he just, they my parents split up and he's just gone. Like, and some people that their families are split. It's a divided family. And uh, both parents are still involved. But in, in my case, Uh, my dad was, he remained in California and we're here on out in Ohio and there was really no interaction whatsoever. So there was some difficulty there. And I think I used um, imagination to, to escape uh, from reality in some sense. And I think a lot of people do. I think, yeah, we have, we have a major problem uh, in the Western world with with drugs and and uh, things like that, that are, everyone would agree, well, that's an escape. I, mm-hmm. I talk to people that struggle with uh, drug addiction. Why do you do this? Why would you do it? Because it's just a way I, I can just escape the, the horror of my life uh, for a while, which it only makes worse. But uh, I think many people do that even in more socially acceptable ways if it is escaping into... Oh, back in the 80s the Dungeons and dragons that was mm-hmm. kind of a there was kind of a a, a scare about that a crisis of
2: mm-hmm.
1: people were delving into this and and they can't come out of this world that they're in uh, and I, I think for me uh you know there's no there's no ultimate uh, salvation there's no real life in that even if you're going down a colorful road of imagination and adventure and and all these stories uh, there is no life outside of Jesus so until uh, I was born again and until uh, God adopted me into his kingdom uh, it really was was a dead end my life really came alive as much as I can sit here and uh, reminisce about the cool TV shows and comic books and things uh, it was really a a dead world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I I really was, as we all know, pre Christ. We are dead. My life was, yeah, it was a zero.
0: <laughs> yeah, dead in trespasses and sins, right? Just like Ephesians two says.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you know, g- going back to what we were saying about about story, I, I think, um, one of the one of the miraculous things about, uh, about salvation and, and, and like you said, being, being adopted into the family of God, it not only, uh, you know, obviously your, your sins are forgiven, uh, you are, you're no longer dead, you're regenerated, you have new life in Christ, but you're, you're now placed in a story as well. You know, so you're, you're joining an ongoing narrative of the kingdom of God too. Uh, and in this escape thing that that people people are seeking right and, and they're seeking it in in lots of destructive ways like you already said um you get to be part of a new story uh when you've been rescued by Christ um and I I think that is uh um that's that's something that um I've I've thought a lot about and it's not necessarily something we it's not a, a a part of the gospel that we emphasize but um even just to tell the gospel you have to tell a story too <laughs> you know it's yeah. not it's not just uh, a bumper sticker that you the gospel isn't a bumper sticker that you uh that you recite to people right it's it's actually a story to tell like we have to we have to tell how we're dead in sins um we have to tell who Christ is and what he's done um, there's, there's lots of this. So there's a, there's an entire narrative to the life of faith that, um, that's really important. Uh, and I think it, 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 it cuts to the heart.
1: Yeah. And, and like you said, uh, earlier that there is a story with our life and it's not just that it, that my life story, uh, with Christ started post salvation, uh, i so in in my testimony, i was I was saved uh, in high school when uh, there was an evangelist, and he's from central Ohio, and I think he's still out there, uh, John Munsey, and he came and spoke at our high school. They actually had him in the school. They stopped wow. the school day. They stopped the school. Uh, I was really uh, hmm. I was about to I'd already discussed with my mom. I was about to drop out of high school because by the time I was a teenager, I was just at a point of, I, I never did drugs. I, I never was in, in the party scene. I just, because of the, the difficulties of growing up, we really were in uh, poverty with my father kind of abandoning us. And uh, that whole sense of, that loss and, and really how they say kids take on if their parents split a lot of times kids take that, they take it on personally. They take on sure. a guilt. Of, oh, it's my fault. And I really was suffering under that through my whole childhood. And it really reached a point in my uh, teen years that I was just, I reached a point where I just thought life is a limit. You know, it is just, it is, it's just been wrong from the start. Life is terrible. And uh, I just wanted to escape life. Now, I never did get to a point where I was suicidal, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: I don't think if, if the school bus um, it went off the road and rammed in, into a telephone pole and, and I was killed, I wouldn't have minded that because mm-hmm. life was just – there was no point to it. And I couldn't focus on school – or anything. I was ready to drop out. And my mom had finally gotten to the point where she was saying, you know, this, this kid's so miserable, whatever it takes, if he just needs to drop out of school and whatever he's going to do. I was ready to do that. And John Muncie came into our school. They stopped the day in the middle of the school, had all the kids go to the auditorium and he came in there and he did a presentation. And I think how really he got around it was Uh, He did a presentation, an anti-drug and alcohol presentation. Uh And in the midst of that, then uh, really his, what he was going for was the gospel. He was like, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, the answer to, you know, you want to avoid drugs and alcohol and all this, the answer to everyone's problem is Jesus Christ. And he said a little bit more than that. Uh, but he said, "Really, if you want to hear more, uh, we can't really talk about it here. But you can come to a, a meeting that I'm having this evening." And uh, I never went back to class the rest of the day. Other kids uh, hung around him and were talking with him, and I just sat off in the corner just listening. I just just had to hear it. And we had gone to, as I said, I grew up. My mom read us the Bible. We went to a church, but I will just say that church was very stale. <laughs> it was just hmm. very, um, just a lot of tradition, show up and and look nice, and the, the, there wasn't really much life there at all. And the I social club
0: time, kind of thing,
1: very much. And and by the time I was a teenager, uh, they they didn't give me, I got nothing from them as a reason to like. Why should I not think that life is a limit? Why you haven't yeah. shown me anything? Just just going to church and being moral, which they, t- they taught lots of morals, so of the <laughs> Pharisees.
0: Whatever that means. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but there was there was no life to it, and I stopped going to church. Uh, by the time I reached my teenage years, I told my mom, I said, I'm, I'm not going and wasting my time there.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: so I stayed home on Sundays and watched wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, and again, that was in the heyday. That was back in that was uh, yeah the Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, the early days. And and uh, uh, so uh-huh. I, but what I heard from John Muncie was different. It wasn't he wasn't just talking about morals and and looking good and and doing some kind of a ritual, as in warming a pew every Sunday and being a nice tidy person. Um, this was different. It was about Jesus. And I came home and I told my mom, I said, Hey, this guy came to school today. And he said he was going to do this presentation. I think I might go see him. And hmm. of course she knew I, I didn't have anything to do with going to church. Um, and she thought that was interesting. But at the time I was, my other outlet was working out. So I was really into the weights mm-hmm. and I was pretty, OCD about it is I I had my regimen every night and exactly what I was going to do. And you don't interrupt me when I'm doing it. And this is, this is my thing. So I started working out and my mom comes in later that evening and she says, Hey, I thought you were going to go see that guy tonight and it's going to start here any minute. And, you know, I'm kind of looking at her, like, obviously I'm not because I'm still doing my workout and I'm, serving this idol. I'm certainly not going anywhere mm. else. <laughs> mm. um, she leaves and she's like, okay. And really, I, I believe it was the prompting of God because there was nothing in me to, to do this. I stopped in the middle of my routine, which Whoa. is absolutely unheard of. You know, if I, if I do one arm, I have to do the other. <laughs> and if I do that, then I've got to do the other exercise and, and then <laughs> I have to finish. I stopped in the middle of it, and I just, I was just compelled, like, I just got to go. I just got to go see this guy, and I, I put my weights down, and I went there.